Morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He's Isaac Fitzgerald. Of course, so much is happening this morning. You're watching AN to DM. Let's get right to the breaking news. Less than an hour ago, the Associated Press tweeted, bomb found at home of Hillary and Bill Clinton in New York City suburb. BuzzFeed News reporter Mary Ann Georgentopoulos joins us now. Good morning, Mary. Morning. Okay, so what do we know about this bomb and how it was discovered? So the Secret Service released a statement this morning saying that a potential explosive device was intercepted during a, uh, a routine mail screening um, at Hillary Clinton's house in, uh, in Westchester. Uh, now, the AP citing kind of an unnamed uh, U.S. official say, says it's a functional explosive device. Um, so things, things are still a little unclear. A little unclear. Well, of course, not long after that news broke this morning, we also found out that police are saying that a device was also mailed to former President Barack Obama and that this device is similar to the one found at George Soros's home earlier this week. So um, the Clintons, George Soros, and now Barack Obama's office. Do we know if there is a connection confirmed between these three incidents? You know, a lot remains uh, unclear in terms of kind of who sent them or like the motive might have been. Um, but the Secret Service did say this morning that um, a, a suspicious package believed to be an explosive device was also sent to Barack Obama in D.C. Um, again, it was intercepted. It never it never made its way to uh, to Obama. Um, but um, they haven't officially said that there is a connection uh, with the one that was sent, uh, I believe, yesterday to uh, George Soros's house. But again, uh, some media outlets, including the New York Times, are reporting based on U.S. officials that there is a there is a connection or that the devices are similar um, in nature. That the devices are similar in nature. And again, so that was it was George Soros's home, the Clintons home and then Obama's office in D.C. But it was intercepted before it got there. I do want to ask and, and I know there's still a lot that we haven't uncovered yet. But do, does the Secret Service have any suspects? Is there anyone they're looking at? Um, not not that we know of right now. Um, I believe that no one has really kind of claimed responsibility for for sending these packages. So um, it, it remains unclear if they have anyone anyone in sight. Okay, and then, and just one last question, Mary and George and Tablas. As a breaking news reporter, I find it's helpful to hear from you in these moments. What are some things this morning? This, of course, is alarming. It's scary news. But what are some things we should keep on mind on Twitter? Um, you know, to kind of you know handle this and not kind of contribute to misinformation. Um, I think, you know, just as reporters or just any, anyone really who's interested in the story, just, you know, keep in mind where your these tweets we're seeing are coming from. Are they from kind of the FBI or local or state officials uh, from trusted media outlets? Um, you know, like any breaking news situation, there's going to be a lot of misinformation on, on the Internet. So just be mindful. be mindful. Be mindful. Well, we certainly will do that this morning. Marianne Georgiantopoulos, thank you so much for joining us having me. Thanks, Mary. Um, for now, let's leave it with this tweet from Adam Sorer, a senior writer at The Atlantic magazine. Uh, bombs have now been sent to the homes of George Soros, the offices of the Clintons and Barack Obama. So that is 
three assassination attempts of left-of-center figures who are the target of pro-Trump conspiracy theories and rhetoric. Yeah. We don't know much, but we do know that. We don't know much, but we do know that, and we will, of course, keep an eye on this story throughout the show today, and I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be coming up a lot the rest of this week. I'm sure. Well... Let's talk about the 2018 elections. Uh, the New Yorker tweeted this, the governor's race in Georgia between Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams is a virtual tie, but Kemp has invoked the so-called exact match law to suspend 53,000 voter registration applications for infractions as minor as a hyphen missing from a surname. Wow. All right. Well, BuzzFeed News Politics reporter Ryan Brooks covered last night's debate between Abrams and Kemp, and he joins us now. Ryan, good morning. Morning. All right, so before we get into the tea, let's talk about the stakes. Why is this race being so closely watched? Absolutely. So Stacey Abrams has the opportunity to become the first uh, black woman governor in the country. Um, and so there's a lot of energy focused on that right now. Throughout the primaries and uh, in this general election, black women have honestly been stepping up um, from sort of like that sort of uh, conversation of them being the backbone of the party to moving forward and wanting to be in those leadership positions. So uh, there's a lot of energy nationally sort of focused on her campaign. Um, and it's been a very close race so far. And just a lot of people have been organizing for her. Right. And I did want to ask that. I mean, the, the historical significance of the race, of course, has gotten my attention. But yeah, I mean, you know, for people who are like, OK, thinking realistically about, you know, the results we might see, um, you know, in two weeks, do we have a sense of where both Abrams and Kemp are in the polls? Yeah. So there have been polls recently. Um, so they've been hovering around 48 and 47 percent um, in the past two polls that I've seen personally. Um, Kemp's on the upside of that. And Stacey Abrams is um, hovering usually around like 47%, 46%. And so it's been a very close race. It's a dead heat right now. Um, there's, like I said, a lot of organizing going on in the state trying to get out the vote. Um, and that's where a lot of the issues have come up around this race. Yeah, and one of those issues is certainly voter registration or suppression, which makes the dead heat interesting. Now we're ready for the tea, Ryan. <laughs> Steaks are set. Now we're Steaks ready. Set. We have set our table. The tray is ready. You've got sugar. I've got cream. Let's go. Here's a tweet from Kyle Griffin. According to audio attained by Rolling Stone, Brian Kemp told donors at a ticketed event that Stacey Abrams' voter turnout operation, quote, concerned, continues to concern us, especially if everybody uses and exercises their right to vote, which they absolutely can. He was sure to say they absolutely can vote. Um, now listen, Ryan, this story was all over my timeline. It still is. And given everything you've explained, it's a dead heat. That's interesting. So, so what's the takeaway from this audio recording? I want to resist jumping to conclusions. Mm -hmm. So obviously, like, Stacey Abrams has been working in that state for a long time. She's the former a minority uh, state house leader. Um, and she's also advocated for voting rights in that state for a very long time. In 2014, she started the New Georgia Project. Um, she saw a lack of uh, voter participation there. Uh, around 800,000 minority voters were, minority Georgians were unregistered to vote in the state. And so she started an operation to get them registered to vote. Um, it's a basic right that we all have. And it's obviously very important in Georgia where the civil rights was basically focused. Um, civil rights movement was basically focused. So she saw that need and wanted to step up and get people registered there. Um, they've honestly argued back and forth about this for around a decade. Uh, Kemp's been the secretary of state and in those duties he's charged with sort of like making sure the voting rights laws are like carried out in 
the correct manner. And so in that registration effort, so this exact match law came up and they've honestly had some voter registration issues that have come up and they've sued him a couple his office a couple of times. And there's just been issues sort of around getting those people registered and having those voting rights laws play out in the way that they need to be played out. All right. So that's a long history. Did voter suppression come up at all during last night's debate? So it was pretty much the subject of the entire debate, uh, besides <laughs> like a fire alarm that went off at the beginning f- randomly. Um, yeah. So that issue came up like in the first couple of questions. So Kemp is obviously still the secretary of state of Georgia. And so one of the panelists asked if he would resign uh, from his position, which the Abrams campaign and a few other civil rights organizations have called for. Um, while he's running this campaign for governor and being the secretary of state that's in charge of these voting rules. So that came up. He said that he wouldn't resign from that position in the event of a recount. And he said that there's a lot of attention on the race. Obviously, there is in the in the aspect of voting rights and that people be watching the rules closely. And he said that, again, he wouldn't resign from that position in the event that it's a recount. They have a libertarian candidate that's pulling around like 3%. And with it being a dead heat, there's an opportunity for that to go into a recount. Wow. Um, and, and again, I please, please give me context if need be. To me, I, I just think this is pretty wild, right? Like two people running against one another and one of them may become the, the decision maker uh, if it gets to a recount. So how unusual is this? Is there a precedent? Uh, so there he's honestly been the secretary of state for about, like I said, he's been in there since about 2012. And again, these issues have come up in Georgia. And I'm not sure if there's a precedent per se, but again, like they're calling for him to resign and he's not willing to do that. He said that he took that oath of office and that's where he's going to stay throughout this race. And that's what he's going to do. Now, another story, like, I just feel like it's such a complex race. There's so many stories going on about it. We also have this New York Times story about Abrams burning the Georgia state flag in 1992. What are we to make of that? So this was one of the first questions that she was asked. It was all over Twitter yesterday alongside all of these voter rights issues. And it came up uh, in 1956, the Georgia, Georgia state added the Confederate flag to its like state flag. Um, and that happened in a lot of Southern states around that time too. And so in an act of protest, she explained this during the debate that she and a bunch of other people at her college, she went to Spelman College in Atlanta, um, burned the flag. Um, but she said that she's like, she went to public school in Georgia. She loves Georgia and that she's fighting for those sort of Georgia values now that don't represent sort of that flag in her opinion. All right. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Um, I have a tweet here from Nichelle, uh, who is watching us, I know, from Savannah, Georgia. And Nichelle tweeted this, 2018 is feeling a lot like 1968. My parents lived, have lived through both. They don't deserve this. I mean, uh, and again, and, and actually her username is something she tweeted earlier this week. Voter suppression is the scariest thing this Halloween. Absolutely. Woo! It, I mean, again, it's an incredible <laughs> race. It's a yeah. complex race. And yeah. I think it's a race that actually speaks to a lot of things that are happening nationwide. And it's like all of American history is coming up at once in the middle of it. In this moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, here's another disturbing news story from BuzzFeed News. White nationalist Richard Spencer's wife says in divorce filings that he physically and emotionally abused her. 
The Daily Beast, Will Summer, tweeted this about the story. Richard Spencer's wife uh, says she was physically abused and that, again, he tried to punch her in the face at one point when she was nine months pregnant. BuzzFeed News reporter Talal Ansari, who broke this story, joins us now. Good morning, Talal. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. So to start, Talal, how did you discover these accusations? Well, as you know, um, as a news organization, we welcome each and every tip from our readers. And this actually came in through a secure drop, which is an anonymous way of letting us know about something. And they were pretty basic. They just said there's some um, divorce proceedings going on. And if there's anything in the public's interest, um, you guys should look into it. And please keep a balance between what's appropriate to report and what's not. And I think we did that. Okay. Um, how long have Richard Spencer and uh, his wife, uh, or soon to be ex-wife, I suppose, Nina Koyuprayanova, uh, been married? And, and what are some of the accusations that stood out to you? Right. So th- they were married in 2010. And it wasn't until just, uh, I think, four to five months after their uh, civil marriage that the first accusation she claims uh, of abuse happened. And that was in 2011. And that's when she says he dragged her out of bed, um, grabbing her by the arm, by the leg, and even by the hair, um, and pulled her down the stairs. Um, It wasn't too much after that she brings her second accusation, which is in 2012, where he supposedly had smashed her head on the floor. And in, in the affidavit, which is 78 pages long, she states that she remembers feeling like, um, I hope my neighbors can't hear this because where her head was smashed was near a vent where she could uh, hear the neighbors talk from time to time. And I would think one more notable uh, incident was, you know, as we all know, uh, Richard Spencer was punched in the face uh, during Donald Trump's inauguration. And after that, he supposedly started carrying around a gun and he would leave that around the house and it was accessible to his uh, children. All right. Well, listen, you also included emails and texts in your reporting. I wanted to ask, what did we learn from those? And I'm also wondering, why weren't these divorce uh, proceedings basically locked? Like, how did you, how were yeah. you able to access them? Why are they, why are they public? Mm. Right. So um, I'll ask you, answer your second question first. Um, so they tried to seal it on three actual occasions, both by his wife, Nina um, Kuprinova, <clears throat> the judge denied it. He tried to seal it. The judge denied it. They ter- tried a third time. The judge denied it. And basically, the judge stated that the public's interest outweighs your need for privacy. And they cited the Montana Constitution, as well as the First Amendment and the freedom of the press. Um, so that's why they're not sealed. And um, sorry, what was your second question? And what did we learn from the texts and emails that you included uh, in your piece? So in her affidavit, she supplies numerous emails between the two that supposedly corroborate her allegations of abuse. In one instance, she says, my jaw is bruised. He says he apologizes. Um, She had also surreptitiously recorded their fights to, um, I guess, prove her claims of verbal abuse or emotional abuse. Um, And there's transcripts of those conversations in there. She has a couple screenshots uh, between her, conversations between her and a friend, between her and a clinic, a uh, mental health clinic. So, you know, a lot, a lot of the documents in there she provided, including photos of bruising, but we, we can't see that because of the quality of the photos, uh, are there to bolster her, her accusations. Okay, um, and you know, from the story, I was struck by a quote from uh, Nina uh, Kayuprova herself saying that Spencer would tell her, quote, the only language women understand 
is violence, uh, which is a pretty terrifying uh, statement. Uh, what has Richard Spencer or his lawyer said about these allegations? Right. So I reached out to both of his lawyers. I called him and I emailed him. I received a very short email back from him saying my lawyer will be in touch. Um, they were never in touch till this morning. And um, But I will say in, in his own affidavit, which is 48 pages long, he says that he, and I want to get this right, disputes many of her assertions and denies each and every allegation. Mm. All right. Well, Talal, thank you so much for your reporting on this difficult story. And we appreciate you joining us this morning. Yeah. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. I mean, that was just a terrifying story. And we'll tweet out yeah. Talal's story right now so that you can check it out. Let's let's be real. The whole morning in terms of news has been like, what, what is that? Like, not not good, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Like, How what? you doing? Not good, Bob. Uh, Scary J. Blige, you just tweeted, it honestly felt eerily tense yesterday at the polls. People looking around at each other. Yeah. Yeah. So let's remember, take time catch our breath, mm -hmm. take some news from the break, take some news from Twitter, though I love it, it will still be there when we come back to it. And so we're gonna catch our breath right now. And we're gonna have a little joy, all right? Ooh. We're gonna have a little joy, it's still October. Yes, I'm gonna is it? I'm <laughs> gonna sprinkle some Halloween joy on this, all please, right? So before please. we go to the break, let's have a little spooky joy. Mm. Yesterday, Entertainment Weekly's Dana Schwartz tweeted, show me your favorite knockoff Halloween costume. Right now, I'm team Notionless, because the designer wanted to get to lunch and hit the thesaurus. I like that. Notionless. Notionless. Can I tell you something for real? It took me a moment uh -huh. to but, figure out. I was like, what's the what's the real movie again? Oh. <laughs> what did like, you think it was? I, well, I googled Reese Witherspoon. I was wrong. Uh, yeah, sorry. You show Alicia uh, Silverstein. Alicia, I'm sorry, Alicia Silverstein. Uh, but yeah, Clueless. I How got funny. Way harsh, Tay. The responses were pretty exceptional, so we want to go through some of those other tweets. Haley, you said this. Uh, this might be my favorite of all time. The best part, obviously it's like the Matrix, right? But the best part is Or Padre for just in case you decide you want to change it up. So we have Cyberman uh -huh, uh -huh. or Padre. Cyberman. Oh, that's so, yeah, look at that, and I love it. It's just like, yeah, you need a hat, you need a cross, <laughs> yeah. a little Bible. Isn't that funny? All you gotta do is That's find, the difference. You can change Cyberman. You could be Young Pope one day, Neo the next. I'm just saying the Matrix does have some religious undertones. That's true. There are some That's religious undertones. That's range. He kinda, in, in that third movie, there's oh, a lot man, of that. Oh man, that is. That's All right, true. here's another one from Danny Goldberg, just, Juice Demon. What? Juice. Oh. oh, Beetlejuice. Oh, that's really funny. I'm just asking, this is what I want to know. How do you get into this business? Were you like my grandfather's grandfather invented knockoff Halloween costumes, and now my father's father, not, and now I will, and now, and that is how it passes down through the tradition? I feel like that's a setup for a making Kelly joke, and I'm just going to go like this, right around. I tried. Right I tried around. to get him on. All right, let's get to this one more. Uh, we got it from Alyssa. Saw this on the weekend. Oh, that's Funny, knockoff Harley Quinn, dangerous girl. Dangerous she does look girl. pretty dangerous. Dangerous she girl. She does look pretty dangerous. All right, so listen, there. we're gonna tweet out Dana uh -huh. Schwartz's entire, her, her tweet and then uh -huh. all the responses. Check it out, there's a lot of joy there. Do you have any knockoff Halloween costumes? I, you know, I'm, I was definitely like the Red Power Ranger in elementary school one year, and I'm sure it was like maybe like Rouge Ranger or Maroon <laughs> Ranger if I had looked at the Maroon package. Maroon Strong. Uh, <laughs> Lover Ranger. Ranger, I don't know, I don't know. What about you? I like that. Uh, you know, I bet you I was definitely like the Teenage Mutant Ninja lizards every once in a while. Uh, I definitely had some knockoff costumes. So I like to just think of how to invent them. I'm sorry to get back to the guy. Oh, you want like, a, you want a moonlight? I you want, want another job? I want yeah. Okay. I wanted to like what All would right. Edward Scissorhands like? Joe Sharpie. <laughs> Joe Edges. Sharpie feet. All right. Edgy boy. Let's. <laughs> I'm sorry.
Sorry, edgy boy. Let's have some fun. What would your knockoff Halloween costume be? Have you ever worn one yourself? Let us know using the hashtag AM2 80s purple musician man. Okay. That's Prince. Wow. That's uh, Prince. I, I'm Did aware. Did you get it? Uh, stick around. I'm just, okay. And I see uh, PixMaven, CNN offices being evacuated. We don't know. We'll keep our eyes on it. A lot of news this morning. Stick around. Up next is Fire Tweets. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Welcome back. Uh, we were asking you about knockoff Halloween costumes. Miss <laughs> Cutting Up, you tweeted, I went to knockoff Halloween. Oh. Hallelujah night. <laughs> All the church kids know. All the church kids yes. know. Hallelujah night. Mmm. <gasps> oh. Wow, did I just, did I just dread something up? That, that bring a memory back? It just came through my whole body. Wow. I think I definitely remember my grandma trying to get me to go. Mmm. I was like, I'm so Hallelujah night. Back. Thank you for that. I needed that laugh <laughs> this morning, Kristen. Wow. I just, that went through my whole body. That's the one you wear Padre to, not, not Cyberman. Caught the spirit. Okay, <laughs> our tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. This comes from S. Great. Is that one of those rappers? Anyway. No. <laughs> How the fuck you look a baby in the eyes and name it Carl? <laughs> <laughs> There's a few names like that that you're like, what were you thinking? Are there any Carl name. still alone? Are Carl still? I feel like you got to be a certain age, and then when you're 18, yeah. then they're like, we're changing your name to Carl. You're an yeah. adult now. Yeah. I also just liked how you said Esgate, one of those rappers. That's <laughs> like the it? oldest. And you know exactly what I was talking about. Green hair, face tattoos. You sounded like an uncle. <laughs> it was amazing. All right. Kyle, you tweeted, my version of flirting is looking at someone I find attractive multiple times and hoping they're braver than I am. Kyle, have we dated? <laughs> <laughs> is that is that no, a move you, you don't, do? You don't look familiar. Is but that a move you do? That is, that is a move. Are you, you, are you usually approached? Or are you the approacher? Uh, no, this is this is <laughs> this is why so many gay men are single because it just ends with us standing on opposite sides of the room <laughs> and then leaving and then leaving and then the bravery is by the time you're home, someone on Grinders like, yeah, I saw you tonight. And boy's like, well, girl, <laughs> you could be seeing me anyway. Hey, late bravery is better yeah, than no bravery. That's true. All right. That's true. <laughs> Shout out to you, Kyle. It's not a you problem; it's a me problem. <laughs> this tweet comes from Kai. All right, Kai. I love how I can slay one day and look homeless the next. Balance. Ah. What I love about this is I feel like balance is the next step in having the range. Oh. It's like balance. First there's balance. Because we're a little tired now. We're just like, have the range. Now it's just like, dude, are we balanced? Are we balanced? <laughs> First there's balance. Is it like steps, balance, yeah. then yeah. there's having the range? Yeah. Eventually What's... we'll get to like even keeled. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I don't have the balance. I like to dress, uh, you know, pretty trashy every day of the week. Shout out to Evanston YMCA. Gotta represent the YMCA. All right, here we go. Nick, you tweeted, me when I drive. That was illegal, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Saeed has now been on multiple road trips with me because of our uh, road trip segments. Yeah, I, will, I, I, said, I told this, I said this on air earlier this week. I don't know if you were watching. Um, I did say you were a very safe driver, it's true. It drives me crazy. When I drive with some <laughs> cargo that I care about, all right? When I, when I have a loved one in the passenger seat, I am. But when not. Oh, yeah. uh, ooh, that's deep. That's deep. <laughs> all right, this tweet comes from, oh, Chelsea Handler. All right, Chelsea Handler, you tweeted. 
All right, Megyn Kelly talking about blackface just to let her old colleagues at Fox News know she's still got it. I ain't changed. She's still got it. I'm still me. Yeah, you know, New we got New network, say me. <laughs> we got a lot of news going on, so it's like, girl, we don't even have time for Megyn Kelly today. We don't. Alas. Isn't that nice? It is. Yeah, let's keep it I'm moving. Tweet of the day comes from Trung Lee. Here we go. <laughs> My whole life changed when I realized that pro wrestlers are just buff theater kids. <laughs> Woo! That's just true. Mm. They're dramatic. Mm. Men with feelings. I and like women. that you're like, I don't care about this tweet. You just Shout thought about a lot Ballard. of pro wrestling. Shout out there to Finn Balor. All right. He's all just so pure. Okay. Demon King. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Jeez. Okay, of course we are going to go live from the district after the break with Nitty Precash. We're still figuring out what's going on on the developing stories on the timeline. And then later, I'm going to be sitting down with Janet Montgomery from New Amsterdam. The Romanoff, also one of my favorite shows, Salem. I love Salem. And we're keeping an eye on that CNN situation, Woo. so we'll update you with that once we know more. Balance. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nidhi Prakash. Good morning, Nidhi. Hi, morning. So the breaking news just won't stop this morning. First, this tweet from our own breaking news director, Tom Namako. Poppy Harlow and Jim Shuto rushing off the air at CNN in New York, which was just evacuated. Let's take a look at this video. We're going to jump in. There's, There's a, fire a fire alarm, alarm here. here. You might have heard it in the background. We're going to find out what the latest is uh, we'll here right at CNN. We're going to be right back. CNN. Yeah, and you can see people in the background uh, during that moment uh, also leaving the, the CNN newsroom. So our thoughts are with our peers, our colleagues. That's scary. And then we have this tweet from CNBC. Suspicious package addressed to the White House intercepted. So I know I just tweeted this, but Nitty... <sighs> I think I speak for everyone on Twitter this morning when I say, what the fuck is going on? Yep. Yes, very much. I think you speak for all of us here as well <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Do we know anything more at this point about what's happening in, in, at CNN or, or the White House? I, mean, I hate to put you on the spot. So all we know at the moment really is, uh, is what you saw there. So like, I, I think we know that with the CNN incident that the NYPD is investigating that they're checking out the suspicious, suspicious package and that everyone's been evacuated. I actually spoke to a couple of my friends who work there who have just been evacuated. So I guess they're just waiting to kind of find out what's going on. Um, with the White House package, I think that's it's the same deal, that they've uh, intercepted this package and they're checking it out. And unfortunately, I think that that's all we have at the moment. That's all we have at the moment. Uh, a quick tweet here from Steve Kopak. He says that CNN is now reporting from West 58th Street outside the Time Warner Center. So it looks like they actually took and relocated outside of the building and are reporting from there. Okay, and thanks to all of our viewers who have been going, hey, have you seen this? Because absolutely, we see your tweets, we flag them with our producers, and that's how we have these kinds of conversations. But. Also, Nitty, of course, we wanted to talk about what's going on uh, with the Jamal Khashoggi murder case. Uh, here's a tweet about that from Kylie Atwood at CBS News. Mike Pompeo announced that 21 Saudi suspects in the death of Jamal Khashoggi will have their visas revoked or be ineligible for a visa to enter the United States. So when we talk about this truly international incident, if ever there was one. Uh, the bar is low, but is this the first example of the Trump administration holding the Saudis um, accountable for the murder? 
It absolutely is. Yeah, this is the first action of any kind that we've seen them take against um, against the Saudis since this happened. Um, having said that, uh, it's you know there is a lot more that they could do. Yeah, there's a lot more that they could do. What would some of those measures be? Yeah, what, what could are the next options? steps be? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like, this is essentially revoking the visas from uh, 21 Saudi officials, as you said there. But, you know, I think that what's still on the table is trade and economic sanctions. And as we've heard from the president several times in the past week, we have substantial trade and economic ties with Saudi Arabia. So that's something that could potentially be a lot more impactful than uh, revoking these visas. I also wanted to ask, at this point, <clears throat> I know even President Trump is saying, like, listen, this is unacceptable, like, this was a murder. He's beginning to get in sync with the reality of what has happened. But uh, do we know anything about what Trump himself or Pompeo might be saying about the Saudi crown prince being specifically responsible? So, to be honest with you, it still sounds very much like the administration is sticking to the same line that the Saudi officials are sticking to. So at the moment, they're saying, I think the latest thing that the president said was that uh, the person who did this uh, was acting outside their authority. Um, the Saudi line has been that this was a rogue operation. That's their line now, anyway. It's changed a lot over the past week. Um, but it's, I mean, what the administration is saying is still very much in line with, this, with what the Saudi officials are saying, and they're not at all holding the crown prince or the royal family accountable for this. Okay, they're in line with that. What can I ask is the significance of Gina Haspel mm. heading to Turkey? So she's heading out there um, on another fact-finding mission which I'm not sure what we can expect out of that, given that Mike Pompeo came back from a fact-finding mission last week and said that he didn't actually talk about any of the facts with Saudi officials. Um, so I guess we'll be waiting to see whether she does actually get into any facts on her fact-finding mission. All Gets right. into any facts on her fact-finding mission. Well, listen, Nitty, we have some other stories that we want to kind of round up into a new mini-series we're calling Midterm Bullshit. Isn't that beautiful? Are you ready, Nitty? <laughs> I'm as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> fair, fair nitty. All right, here's a tweet from HuffPost's Amanda Turkle. Shockingly racist robocall. That's an interesting, you know, it's a little bar in 2018. Mm. Shockingly racist robocall sent out against Andrew Gillum by a white supremacist group based in Idaho. A lot going on there. So, Nitty, uh, what was this shockingly racist robocall, and, and how many people did it reach in Florida? So it was really pretty incredibly bad. Um, so uh, essentially, it's a call that has someone impersonating Andrew Gillum um, and kind of like playing out this hammed up minstrel-like voice and uh, saying things like he's going to hand out chicken feet as a medical remedy for people. Uh, it gets pretty it gets pretty gross and pretty racist. Um, so I think the thing is that we don't know actually how many people received this ad, but what we do know is that the neo-Nazi group that sent it out has done this before. The neo-Nazi group that has done this has done this before. Look at that face. I, I my face was not on camera when you, when you mentioned <laughs> that what the robocall. I don't know what I thought shockingly racist meant, but yes, I am indeed shocked by the racism. You are absolutely shocked. I want to ask: Are there going to be any repercussions for this neo-Nazi group? Can this third-party ad be pulled? So, unfortunately, uh, political robocalls are completely legal, and it doesn't seem like there is really anything that anyone can do about this, I guess, beyond call it out when we see it. 
Beyond call it out when we say it. Well, here's a tweet from the Washington Post's Ashley Parker. After everyone, from the White House press secretary to the vice president, has vouched for his claim that, quote, Middle Easterners have infiltrated the caravan, Trump tells reporters he has no proof of Middle Easterners in there, but they, quote, very well could be. Nitty, what can we take away from the White House's claims about the caravan? So, you know, I think that what's really interesting here is that Trump started this whole thing out by saying that there are unknown Middle Easterners in this caravan. The way that the rest of the administration backed him up was by providing statistics on suspected terrorists being apprehended at the border. So I think what we can take away from that really is that the administration is kind of using Middle Easterners and terrorists synonymously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one more round of midterm bullshit. You're doing great, Nitty. You're doing great. You win this, you get to take home an uh, easy big oven. Uh, Brandon Wall tweeted this. Here's how bureaucrats are scrambling to create some cover for Trump's BS claims that they're going to pass a 10% middle class tax cut before midterms, which of course is in like less than two weeks. Uh, Nitty, how exactly are Trump's surrogates trying to cover up for him? I mean, so I, I guess the first thing to know here is that it is, in fact, impossible for them to pass this before the midterms because both chambers of Congress are out until after the elections. So what they're trying to do instead is to get through a non-binding resolution uh, saying that they're going to do something. Saying they're going to do something. All right. Well. Saying they're mm -hmm. going to do something. Yeah. You've got an easy bake oven in the mail, Nitty. You did great. Uh, <laughs> it's always intense covering DC News, especially this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. And something tells me this isn't going to be the last round of midterm bullshit that we're going to play <laughs> yeah. between now and election. we got to get a cute graphic. Um, we have a tweet here from Getting Some. Uh, it's the kind of day on AM to DM where Saeed has already dropped two F-bombs, which, I mean. I mean, we, if we get a counter going, uh, he could have a lot. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Okay, up next, I sit down with one of the stars of New Amsterdam and the Romanovs, actor Janet Montgomery. I'm so excited to talk to her. Stay tuned. Hello, my queens. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Janet Montgomery, the star of New Amsterdam and The Romanoffs. Hi. 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 How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, first of all, shout out to your gorgeous suit. Thank you Giving so us much. Life. Thank Giving you. us life. We're yeah. all talking about women in suits. You should, and you are. Thank you. Um, you know, i got to get into this. You're doing two shows <laughs> at the same time. You filmed them. You're very busy. What's it like uh, kind of doing two pretty focused roles at once? Um... Yeah, it's, it's amazing to have them both come. I mean, I shot the Romanoffs last year, okay. so it was a little bit before I started on New Amsterdam, but to have them both come out and then be so different, mm -hmm. I think it's really nice to be able to show people variety and be like, oh yeah, this is this and this is this, and they're so different. Mm -hmm. They're both coming out at the same time mm -hmm. is is nice for me as a Oh actor. yeah, so people are like, she has the yeah, range. Yeah, so people can't like pigeonhole you as mm -hmm. a certain type. Mm -hmm. That's good, that's yeah. good. Um, I mean, you know, of course there are a lot of medical dramas. There's a long tradition of, of medical dramas. So with New Amsterdam, I was curious, what for you drew you to this role? Well, I, I initially when I got sent the script, it was like a network show that was a medical drama. I was like, this isn't gonna interest me. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it would. Mm -hmm. and. The writing was so strong and the the nuances and I also liked that she was 
like Bloom, there was the the interracial element, mm -hmm. and I felt like there was quite a lot that this character had to learn. Mm. And I don't like characters that are perfect. Okay. Well, why why portray those on TV? It's boring. Yeah, it's boring, and it's like. If everyone's being so PC all the time, then you're not teaching anyone and your character's got nowhere to go. Mm. So I thought, oh, this is somewhere, this is a character that has a lot of growing to do mm. and I'm excited to do this. And then I met with the show creatives, Peter Horton, uh, David Schulner, and Kate Dennis, who directed it. Mm -hmm. She'd done Handmaid's Tale, mm -hmm. which I loved. And yeah, they, they sold it to me in the room. I love it. And then something I've noticed, and we're gonna talk about Salem in a moment. I'm trying to like, patient sight. <laughs> uh, but on New Amsterdam, your character is a rule breaker. Yes. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Are you a rule breaker in real life? Because I've noticed this about some of your characters. I mean, I've never been arrested. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's the bar? So that's what we're going with? <laughs> do I sometimes break some rules? Yes. Have I been caught? I no. Okay. Oh, I like that. I haven't been caught yet. What's your problem? I <laughs> So Am I going to steal some things off that shelf when you're not looking? I, okay. Who knows? You know, we used to have, we had some lemons, and I got Erica Badu, I think, tried to take a lemon. After are, are they real? Are they I real lemons? Because they so. look delicious. If they, they are, they must be dangerous because yeah. they've been sitting there looking fresh for a, a long time now. You know, we're news organization. Illusions. Um, well, this is something I've always been curious as well. You know, you have love scenes um, and romantic scenes on New Amsterdam and certainly throughout mm. your work, Justin Hartley, you know, like, Good times. I've been lucky. I, you know, you know? I, I wouldn't hate it. Um, but I did want to ask from a practical perspective, how does one get ready for a love scene? Like, what is that like? Um, well, it's always a little awkward mm -hmm. at first uh, because usually you're thrown, like Romanoffs, for example, okay. my first day on Ooh, Corey, set with Corey was the day where we had this sort of love scene. That was you know, your first day? That was our first day. And I said to him, I was a little nervous, and I was like, should we, like, get a shot of vodka. So okay. usually if I've got a love scene or like mm -hmm. something, it's if you can just not get drunk, but uh -huh. just a little shot each. So Lose you've both up. got a little secret that no one else has. Okay. And it makes you, it just loosens everything up a little, okay. little bit. Yeah. I, that's, I just, I couldn't imagine someone like you walking out here like, hello, hello, I'm Janet, I'm Saeed, great, you ready yeah, to make out? Yeah, <laughs> and, and it has to be authentic. Right. And you don't want to, you also want to feel completely comfortable, but you have to mm -hmm. remember that most of the time you're both just as nervous and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's weird. Mm -hmm. So you you laugh in between takes and you're laughing beforehand and then you do it and then it instantly becomes like comfortable. Okay, you slip into that. Moment. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Well, I do want to talk about Salem because that was the show that introduced me to you. And Mary Sibley, just, you know, I mean, it's, I love the show so much. We've got, you know, everything. But of course, the Salem witch trials being invoked and depicted mm -hmm. women I felt fighting, literally fighting for power, warring for power, mm -hmm. um, was very much a narrative of the show. And then here we are in 2018, and we have a president who, of course, is constantly invoking, you know, the Salem witch trials and witch hunts. Um, what was your experience like on on the show? Do you miss it? I do miss the show. I mean, she was, she's like a character that I'm so lucky that I got to play mm -hmm. for three years, uh, and she's very dear to me. I think what was incredible about what WGN did at that mm -hmm. time was at first they were afraid that she was going to be unlikable. Mm -hmm. And the more I communicated with the writers and with them, it was like, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Let her sometimes do terrible things mm -hmm. because that's she's a survivor mm -hmm. and she needs to do these terrible things in order mm -hmm. to survive. You mm -hmm. know, there are some episodes where you're like, how can you be rooting for this mm -hmm. character? But 
we rooted for the Sopranos. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right? It's like, yeah. it's okay to have women do terrible things sometimes and you can still sympathize with them. Mm -hmm. And I think we were lucky enough, especially in the first season, we had some great female writers writing it who understand the complexity mm -hmm. of women. And I think the fact that the, the Puritan society mm -hmm. You've got their, the way they were treating mm -hmm. the women in that. You could understand the anger building up and why she was doing what she was doing mm -hmm. in the show. Right, she was a complicated woman. She was a complicated yeah, woman. All good characters so, are. So fun to play, of course. So I fun. Her. Did you have a favorite favorite magic moment that you got to do with her? Because you got to do a lot of stuff. Yeah, I liked learning the Latin, which I can't remember a bloody <laughs> word of it now. Um, but I, did, I quite liked learning the Latin because mm -hmm. it felt very authentic uh, to be able to do the spells in Latin. And you know the the fire coming out of my hand, having to, I think the first episode when I was controlling Mercy going mm. through the, right. oh the through the that was amazing. And there was something that I did that we just found where mm. it was not like a bewitch like twink of the nose or mm. whatever, but it was like a slight thing with the head or mm. whatever. And when I watch it, it was like the, it was a perfect mm. moment of like it's someone like subtle, who is but yes oof, exactly. Yeah and trying to create that through different spells and yeah. So fun, I love it. Well, I'm gonna have to watch it some more this weekend, get ready for Halloween. <laughs> uh, Jane Montgomery, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much, this was us. so fun. so great, friends. You can watch the Romanoffs on Amazon and New Amsterdam, Tuesday nights on NBC. We love her, we stan. Uh, <laughs> up next, Ryan Serhant is here with some money advice, because we're, we're just doing everything this morning. It's yeah, all. Yeah, <laughs> I can maybe stick around. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>
Like if you, you, you'll never know what could happen unless you ask the question, right? And so it's important even for you. You want to do more stories. You want to do more this, more that. You have to ask for it and take that extra step. And if you want to raise, you have to comp it out against everybody else. Actually take that initiative to get what you want. So another thing that I found really interesting about your story is that you did struggle along the way. You know, you came here to act initially, yeah. and then you said, as you mentioned, you're a hand model. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are in this kind of mid-20s thing where they're not sure what to do, and they're not sure if they can have this second act, this second career. What would you say to them? You can have 50 careers until you find the one career that you want. I mean, I was not supposed to be a real estate agent. I came here to act, do free theater, try to figure things out. And so I would say to anybody who feels like their dream isn't happening, that's not a brick wall. Don't quit. It's just a fence that you can jump over to try to find what your real passion in life is. Okay, so we asked our followers yes. for any questions they had for you, obviously, about sales or money-related questions, so would you mind answering a few for us? Sure. Okay, the first question comes from DeCasio. They wrote, what are the risks benefits of being your own boss? How can someone start from nothing and become big in their business? I mean, I love being my own boss because I don't have to answer to anybody, but I also, because I don't have to answer to anybody, you know, there's no floor, right? I could go completely broke and no one's gonna care, or I could be the most successful person in the world, and it's really all up to me. So it's all about creating that daily schedule and setting expectations and goals for yourself. If you're gonna work for yourself, you have to pretend and mentally make the decision that you do work for someone else, and that person who you work for is yourself five years in the future. So print out a photo and put it next to your computer, and I actually do this, and have a photo and it's like old man me. That's my boss, that's who I work for. So I'm not technically you know, self-employed, I'm working for that person that I want to be better five years from now. Okay, so that's great advice. You know, you feel, I feel like it'd be really hard to be your own boss and you know, put yourself out in the motivation like that, but yeah. you just kind of kind of pretend that you do have a boss. Yeah, Good always, always. Okay. okay, Rebecca asked, all of my coworkers are dragging me for wanting to join an influencer's multi-level marketing scheme. How can I be successful with it and shove it in their face? Get revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Um, listen, influential marketing, especially on social media, is really, really important these days. You know, even, even I do it. I mean, social media has completely changed our business, especially for real estate and for anybody who's selling anything. I mean, I think, is the question more about how do you do it or? I guess maybe what she's asking is, how do you take away from the haters, you know, yeah. who say, oh, you won't be a success, you can't be your own boss. I mean, it's a huge leap to go out and make business for yourself and sell something, especially on social media. How do you get rid of those naysayers in your head? Listen, don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> it is what it is. Like, you have to scream your success from a mountaintop, and our mountaintop is our phone. It's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's everything. No one can fault you for trying to make a living. And if you have something to sell, use every platform possible. Use Instagram, use direct mail, pass out flyers on the street, post a video on Facebook, create a video series on YouTube. I mean, you have to do everything that is at your fingertips to push your product, and if someone says they don't like it, it's just their own insecurity. That's true, that's a good point. Okay, we have one more okay. from Esther. So now you're a boss, obviously. You yeah. know, you are, you are your own boss, but now you have employees that work under, under you. So what do you think good bosses, what are some qualities that good bosses have? Um, I think you have to be empathetic. 
right? The, the power to have empathy is good for all salespeople, but also for bosses, so that you're not 1,000% opinionated one way or the other, that you're always in this together with an employee or someone who works with you, or even if they work side by side with you. You have to be able to understand what they're going through and talk to them and help them manage. You also have to be able to compromise, right? And you have to come from a point of, of leadership where you have to set an example. I mean, that's what I try to do every single day for the 60 some odd people who work with me, is that I set the example for how the work should be done. If I'm late to work, they're all gonna be late to work. If I'm early, they're not gonna be as early as me, but they're gonna say, okay, well, that's how Ryan does it, and I'm gonna try to do as my best job I possibly can. I feel like as a boss that you just, you're so true, it's so true that you just set a tone for how you want your employees to be, like even in how you dress, how you speak, how yeah. you conduct yourself. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Sell Like Sir Hant, How to Sell More, Earn More, and Become the Ultimate Sales Machine is available now. Up next, Isaac is talking to Louis Peitzman about horror movies. Spooky. It's spooky season, and if you haven't already, now is the time to follow Louis Peitzman. BuzzFeed News Deputy Arts and Entertainment Director. One, because he's just an excellent follow, he's fantastic, and two, because he has spent every day in October recommending his favorite horror movies. And Lewis joins me now to talk about them. Good morning, how are you? Good morning, I'm super. You're super. You said you were on a, a little bit of some cold meds. I'm on cold meds, but I'm trying to be positive about it. I, man, I'm it's, positive. It's really the Dayquil talking right now. I love Dayquil, man. I'm positive it's about a, it. It's a great it drive. Sounds good. All right, well, listen, you tweeted that all of the movies on your list will be directed by women, queer people, people of color, or any combination of the above. Why did you want to highlight diverse voices in horror? Why was that important to you? Um, I mean, horror is a genre that, I mean, all film, but horror in particular has always been dominated by, you know, straight cis white men. Um, and so I was just trying to kind of mix things up a little bit. I realized that there are a lot of movies that I love that are directed by women, that are directed by queer people, people of color. I just felt like it was good to kind of get that in there and try to kind of spread the love a little bit. I think that's so important. All right, so let's talk about it. You recommended The Slumber Party Massacre. I did, yes. What's the I'm guessing you, it's about a, I mean, I feel like it about a slumber party title. massacre. It yeah. is about a slumber party massacre. No, but it's great because it's this early 80s slasher directed by a woman. There, there really aren't many slasher movies directed by women, especially at that time. Um, it's kind of like a satire of the slasher genre, which is like crazy because it was 82, I believe, which oh, is wow. really early for that. But it's, um, it's really fun. There's a giant power drill which is phallic. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Uh, you also uh, recommended uh, your favorite movie, maybe one of your maybe favorite Maybe one of my favorite movies of all time. Jennifer's Body. Yes, the movie I've, that I I've talk about constantly. I've still never seen it. Well, you should get on that. Okay. If you want to just like pause this and we can watch it, <laughs> finish after. So what's Jennifer's Body about? Jennifer's Body is about um, uh, you know a high school girl who uh, gets possessed by a, a demon and, and starts to eat boys. <laughs> but it's 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 another kind of like it's another kind of satire of, of the genre and it's it's you know it's very funny it's it's dark it's Diablo Cody script and mm. uh, Karen Kusama directed and and so it's just kind of like a fun uh, subversive demon girl movie. Just a fun subversive demon girl yeah. movie. You uh, also mentioned What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. Now how is this one different from the others on your list? Well, so far these have all kind of been like the funny ones, but okay. uh, it's, a, it's a mockumentary. So it's like about, you know, vampires uh, with some werewolf stuff in there too. But it's um, very much like a comedy. It mm -hmm. just has some horrific elements because there are, you know, vampires and werewolves involved. You know I don't love horror, so maybe that's it's the not, one I, it's not scary I warm up at all. with that You'll one. You'll be fine. You'll and be then fine. I can get to you Jennifer's You can probably body. watch all of these, to be honest, but like that's definitely like a really easy one if you don't like horror. All right, we have another vampire movie. The last one, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Yes. Tell us about that one. 
So that's another kind of like genre bender. That's like a, uh, it's in Farsi. It's, it's a, a Persian movie. It's black and white. It's a uh, vampire western. Whoa. So there's a lot going on there. Um, I think you could also watch that. It's not really scary. It's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, I think of it as a horror movie, but a lot of people would, would not. Um, very stylish, very cool, directed by Anna Lily Amirpour. And um, yeah, it's great. I had two Persian movies on my list because I, you know, love Persian horror movies. I got to say this, Louis, I'm starting to think maybe I don't hate horror. Maybe I was just watching the wrong movies. Maybe. And That's I what I always tell watch, people. watch the movies on your list. Also, I get easily scared, so I I'll tell people like that it's fine to do that and uh -huh. to, like not watch certain things because they scare you or to like watch them with the lights on and people around. I really also like, valid. And are you gonna you're gonna do this through the thirty first? Through the thirty first, yeah, I have a list already. So and I, I tell people where they're streaming so people can watch them. And, all right, uh, all that. If you need any more reason, like go fo follow Lewis Pikeman if you don't already. Thank you so much for joining Thanks us for to discuss me. these spooky movies. <laughs> Up next, Said and I are responding to more of your tweets, and we're gonna catch up on all this breaking news that has been happening during the show. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Let's start with an update on the reports of a suspicious package sent to the White House. CNBC tweeted, Reuters reports citing a person familiar with the situation that there was no suspicious package addressed to the White House. So with none. that update, yeah, none. CNBC and Reuters appear to go back on their initial reporting. Right now it remains unclear what happened, if anything. BuzzFeed News is still waiting for a response from the White House. <laughs> Very confusing morning. Yeah, it was. A, I mean, listen, there was a lot of news breaking all at once, and uh, kind of to Marianne Georgentopoulos, who we spoke with at the top of the show, to her point, be very careful citing your information. It usually helps to wait for a second or third backup source. Yeah, and so what do we know for sure right now? According to BuzzFeed News, we know that suspicious packages were sent uh, to Hillary Clinton's home, Barack Obama's office in D.C., and CNN's building, the Time, War Time Warner building here in New York, city which and, wasn't evacuated. And just to clarify, it was not Hillary Clinton's home. Okay. Okay, they had somebody actually do their packages earlier. That is another piece of information that went around. Okay. So we're just doing our best to kind of figure out what's the facts and what's the misinformation. Yep. All right, so thank you for watching. It was a Whew. crazy show this morning. Really appreciate it. Uh, but let's get back to the little Halloween joy. Yep. We asked you what your knockoff Halloween costumes would be, and Princess Slaya says, I did not have a knockoff costume, but one year I did a DIY costume. I called it Polar Bear Dead from Global Warming, oh. which was just me in some white jeans, my uniform fleece, and bunny ears flipped down to look more round. <laughs> that is dark. <laughs> that's not a costume, that's just a mood. <laughs> uh, Softy38 says this, the kids, uh, the thing that my kids want to dress up as, they don't make costumes for, so every costume is a knockoff because I have to make it for them. Oh, okay, that's real. That's, yeah. Shout out to the moms. Yeah. Shout out to the moms doing the DIY costumes. The moms, the parents, the friends. I, I'll tell you this, I don't think I ever once had like a purchased Halloween costume. I think it I was always- I only remember a couple. We know why you only remember a couple, because you had a repressed memory about Hallelujah Night. You were in the church basement most of these nights. Uh, man, I'm the Antichrist. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh no, here we are. Okay, thank you to all of our guests, and thank you all for riding with us this morning. What a ride it was. Marianne Georgentopoulos, Ryan Brooks, Talal Ansari, Nitty Prakash, Janet Montgomery, Ryan Serhant, and Louis Peitzman. I'm gonna watch a couple of those scary movies. Absolutely, I love talking to him about that. All right, Saeed and I will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Hope you are too. We will see you then. I'm taking a nap. Right now. <laughs> A lot of news. Bye.